Jacksonville District in 1988. Uh, in 1994, uh, he was chosen to attend a, a one-year planners and uh, project managers training course in Washington, D.C., uh, after which he uh, uh, returned to Jacksonville as project manager in the programs and project management division, uh, handling a number of projects in the uh, state of Florida and uh, Tampa, St. Petersburg, Palm Beach areas. Uh, Tim's a registered professional engineer in Alabama and Florida. Uh, he graduated from Auburn University with a bachelor's degree in civil engineering and earned a master's degree in civil engineering from the University of Florida. Uh, please join me in welcoming uh, Tim. Thank you, Mr. Good morning, everyone. You get by the nice picture. That's probably the best picture I've ever taken in my life. Um, <clears throat> to start with, uh, again, my name is Tim Murphy. I'm from the Jacksonville Port Authority. I've been with the port a little over a year. I, I can't say uh, you know, been there less than a year. I'm still learning, but I've been there more than a year, and I'm still learning. Uh, just amazing the amount of uh, the size and the number of projects that are going through the Jacksonville Port Authority right now. Then uh, we are growing by the proverbial leaps and bounds. Uh, we like to think that it's a planned growth and that we know what we're doing, uh, but every day uh, they come banging on my door with a new problem to solve. So uh, I'm having a great time. It's an absolutely wonderful place for an engineer to be right now then and probably for the next 10 years. Um, at least that's what the, the boss, Rick Farron, keeps telling me whenever I go into his office asking him why. Um, as an engineer, I, I'm a little cold-blooded. I'm not much of a vision guy. But I'll tell you, when I, I get up in the morning, I think about the three things that are highlighted on this vision statement here. The fact that we want to be an economic engine, the fact that we want to be diversified, and the fact that we want to be in all major trade lanes. Those are the three things that make the Jacksonville Port Authority tick. Uh, and we're making strides in bringing all th three of those major items to fruition. Right now, then, we have about 50,000 jobs that are directly or indirectly tied to the Jacksonville Port Authority. Uh, that's a pretty good chunk of change that goes through every year, $2.7 billion. Uh, we're not even close to being where we want to be, though. We move containers to the tune of about 800,000 20-foot equivalent units um, through our Blunt Island and Talleyrand facilities. We move vehicles, again, through our Blunt Island and Talleyrand facilities. We also move a little bit of brake bulk. Uh, this is a bit of a joke that the boss tells. Um, we ship an enormous amount of frozen chicken uh, from the Port of Jacksonville to the former Soviet Union. Uh, Rick Farron, our boss, calls it the Missiles for Chicken program, and it seems to be working pretty well. Uh, the chicken boat comes in every couple of weeks, and they lo load it to the gills and send it back over there. Uh, we also have an enormous amount of dry bulk and liquid bulk. The thing to remember about the liquid bulk is uh, even though the Port Authority would love to own uh, the entire um, uh, waterfront property uh, for the entire 22 miles that we're involved in, we, we don't. We only own about 1,500 acres. Private terminals in the form of BP, HESS, uh, Gate Petroleum, they own numerous acres of private terminals, and most of the petroleum uh, that flows into and out of the Port of Jacksonville flows through private terminals. The Port Authority is not involved in at all other than coordinating safety and vessel movements. Last but not least, our, our cruise terminal. Uh, we have the ability, a new ship is coming in latter part of this month uh, that's going to be uh, capable of handling 2,000 passengers a pop. Uh, that will be doing, essentially be coming and going out of Jacksonville three times every two weeks. 
it's a pretty big jump. Our previous ship, we, we went out at well over 100% capacity. Uh, it only had about 1,800 uh, passengers. So this will be a great jump for us. Uh, and also, uh, that diversification issue, we want to keep all of those categories uh, flowing well so that our revenue stream is not tied to, to one particular source. Last but not least is the Mayport Ferry. Um, we lose money on it. Uh, we've had it for a little over a year now then, and we lose money on it. We're going to continue to lose money on it, but it's the right thing to do for, uh, for the, our, our city and our region. And I wouldn't be a good engineer if I didn't have a handy-dandy laser pointer. So we we'll see if we can use it here, not put, out, put anybody's eye out. We have three main terminals. One is our uh, Blunt Island Terminal. That's nine miles from the ocean. We move containers through there. Uh, we have some brake bulk that moves through there as well as an enormous amount of cars. Next terminal that's been getting a lot of attention lately is our Dames Point Terminal. Really, the only thing that exists at Dames Point maybe a year and a half ago was our cruise terminal. It's the cruise terminal in the middle of nowhere. Um, but it's getting some company. We're building our MOL project there, which I'll talk about in a few minutes, and we're hopefully going to build a hand-gen project there. Last but not least, our oldest terminal is the Talleyrand Avenue Terminal. It's relatively small, only a couple hundred acres, but uh, we make great use of what little property's there by moving containers, cars, and that's where the infamous chicken boats tie up. So we have three spots scattered all up and down the river. This last piece of the river here, I might add, this is 22 miles from the sea buoy. That'll become important when I talk about dredging here in a minute. This is where we want to be when we grow up. We essentially want to double the number of jobs and double the number of, uh, double the amount of economic impact that we have in our region. And we're making great strides in getting there. Right now then, the cargo that comes into and out of Jacksonville is we're mostly considered a north-south port meaning that most of our cargo flows from Jacksonville to and from Central, South America, and the Caribbean. Again, I quote the boss, uh, Rick Farian tells a joke that if, if Puerto Rico sneezes, the port of Jacksonville catches pneumonia. And the reason is is that so much of our cargo, Puerto Rico is still our number one trading partner. <clears throat> it's just an enormous amount of cargo that flows in and out of there. And Puerto Rico has actually been in a, an economic slump for several years now then. And we haven't caught pneumonia because we have chicken ships going to the Soviet Union. We have a cruise terminal. We have cars and well as containers. <clears throat> so we've diversified and we've been able to weather that particular, that particular storm. Again, what we want to be when we grow up is more of a 50-50 uh, east-west trade route. And we're making great strides. Our first ship that came directly from the Panama Canal uh, right into Jacksonville Harbor. Uh, the MOL Vision came in in July. I was happy to see it come, happy to see it unload, and happy to see it leave. And the reason I was happy to see it leave was there was no place to turn the ship um, until, I don't know, about 45 minutes before the ship actually came up there to turn. Uh, we were dredging night and day uh, with multiple pieces of plant, dredging both sides of the river in order to make the 1,500 the by 1,500 foot square that that 960-foot-long ship needed to turn. Um, so I was very happy to see it come. I was also extremely happy to see it leave. Um, they're still dredging uh, to make sure our, eventually our plan is to give them a 2,500-foot-long by 1,500-foot-wide basin so that they can turn with ships online. And what I mean by ships online is our turning basin is right in here. 
come January, when this terminal opens, there will be a ship tied up right here and a ship tied up right here. And if you're a vessel captain, uh, you don't necessarily want to see the bow or stern of your ship get close to the bow or stern of another ship. So we need to make sure that we give them plenty of capacity to do that. That project was only $2.5 million, uh, and we felt we got a really good deal on it, but the, the timing was just, just killing us in order to make sure that we were able to safely do that. The terminal that you're looking at is the Traypack Terminal, approximately a little over 150 acres. It's going to have 2,500 feet of berth, the ability to dock two of those 960-foot ships simultaneously. Uh, there's two cranes already on site, uh, post-Panamax cranes. There will be four more uh, probably within three months, and the other equipment is coming in in the month of August and September. That terminal will cost about $250 million by the time you add up the, the price we paid for the land, some clearing that we've done many years ago, and the approximately $200 million that we're spending on actual terminal development. That money wasn't printed in the basement of the Port Authority. Uh, that money came from bonds. It came from loans from the state of Florida. It also came from TRAPAC themselves. TRAPAC is investing almost $200 million of their own money in the area. So we, we received a lot of help through a lot of partnerships from an enormous amount of people. The reason that we do this and the reason we take these huge risks and spend these enormous amounts of money is that one terminal could generate between five and 6,000 jobs all by itself. Now, those aren't Port Authority employees, and they're really not even TRAPAC employees. TRAPAC is probably only going to have about 30 people at the terminal. Those jobs are truck drivers, union people who load and unload the ships, the tug captains, the, the, the ship pilots, um, guy who owns a subway right outside the gate. All of those jobs are tied to this particular terminal. We liked it so much, we're going to go out and get ourselves another one. Uh, the uh, senior team, minus myself, because I've had to come to Disney World, uh, not complaining a bit about that, is actually in Korea right now then, uh, hopefully finalizing negotiations with Hanjin. I'd like to be able to stand up and tell you it's a lock, uh, but it's not. And one of the things that is key to this deal is the money uh, required to build it, another two to $300 million in construction required to do this. And how are we going to get this money? Uh, where is it going to come from? What interest rate is going to be paid for it? What's the payback period? Uh, essentially, all determines what your, your what I call my monthly car payment for my terminal is going to be. All those factors are key in making sure that the Koreans sign up to this deal so that they'll start bringing more freight directly from the Panama Canal right into Jacksonville. We're sort of uh, inviting trouble. Uh, I said earlier we move 800,000 TEUs of uh, containers through the Port of Jacksonville. The MOL terminal all by itself will move, can move, it's not, not will, but can, it's located right in here, can move 800,000 TEUs. It's an 800,000 TEU capable terminal. We'd very much like to put hands in right in here. There's another 800,000 TEUs. I'm packing them in there pretty tight. From a port perspective, that's great. However, all those yellow lines you see converging on this one intersection here, it's going to make for a bad day uh, whenever a truck tries to get from Traypack out to the rail yards. So we're already working with the city of Jacksonville and the state of Florida to get an, and we call it an interim. I haven't spent $12 million on an interim fix in it before, but this is my first time. 
this is an interim fix to this particular intersection to ensure that it can handle the capacity of containers in the interim for the next five to seven years to say so that we can accommodate the growth that we're enticing to that particular area. And the way we're doing it, again, we're not printing money downstairs in the, bottom, in the basement of the uh, Port Authority. Uh, we're relying on Port Authority funds. We're relying on funds from the state of Florida in order to make that happen. The state of Florida stepping up to the plate. They're actually monitoring the construction uh, for two reasons. One, because they're the better at it, much better at it than I am. And two, they're going to own it when it's finished. And so it's, if, you want, if you want something nice at the end of the day, you might want to be involved in how it's being built. And the, Port of, and the uh, Department of Transportation has stepped up to the plate in order to make that happen. You can't build the roads wide enough, and you also can't make them last long enough. We eventually will need an intermodal uh, transfer facility on this side of town. Plus, as an engineer and as an infrastructure pig, I, I want both. I want ride, wide roads and lots of rails. So eventually there's going to be a, some kind of facility on that side of town. Whether it's going to be here on this piece of property, whether it's going to be down this way, somewhere on this side of town, given the volume of movement that we're going to have, uh, we're going to, there's going to be a justification for some kind of transfer facility there. We're already talking to CSX. Uh, we used to meet monthly, but we've been really absorbed in our hands-in deal of late. Uh, it's probably about time to resume those meetings and see how we're going to move forward. And just for grins, uh, the number, the latest number we've heard is about 30% of this cargo, of these, uh, if you add them all up, 2.4 million TEUs of uh, containers, about 30% of that will go by rail. If we can build a very efficient intermodal facility on this side of town, that number could go up. Uh, and we want it to go up because uh, my, my buddy Charlie Baldwin really, really doesn't want to see all those trucks on the road. He needs all the help he can get, and we're going to try to help him out. Last but not least, uh, channel deepening. Uh, we talked about roads. We talked about rail. None of that's going to do you any good if you don't have the water to bring the ships in. In order to be a Panama or Panamax size uh, facility, you really it's, it's 45 foot's the ante to get into the game. Uh, we're only at 40 foot right now then. We'd like to be 50 foot, maybe 55 when we grow up. Um, the new Panama Canal is going to have a 50, it's going to be able to bring ships through that draft 50 foot. If you have a 50 foot channel, they're not going to be able to load fully. So you're looking at a 50 to 55 foot channel in order to take a fully laden ship through the new Panama Canal and bring it directly to Jacksonville where they don't have to light load it or do any funny ballasting issues or wait for a tide. They can come directly in as they need it. And that's all about efficiency. Uh, you justify federal projects the same way you justify road and rail projects. It's how much money are you going to save and who's going to benefit. And when the Corps of Engineers does their analysis, they look at one thing and one thing only. That's basically reducing transportation cost. Fuel, and actually the price of the vessel, is an enormous amount of that transportation cost. So if you have a ship waiting offshore to come in, because waiting for tides, waiting for weather, waiting for a berth, uh, that ship is burning gas. And it's burning gas going nowhere. And that's, a, that's a, an enormous ping that you can pick up immediately uh, to help you out with your efficiency. What we're looking at, if we want to go to 50 foot all the way to Talleyrand, 22 miles, you're looking at about 40 million cubic yards of material. Now, you remember that terminal I showed you earlier, the MOL terminal, the 160 acre? If you take all that 40 million yards of material, and you'd have a, it'd be 160 foot high over that entire terminal. 
that's a lot of dirt. Um, and we, it's some of it's rock. If it were all sand, it wouldn't cost near as much. Um, we're looking to spend potentially a billion dollars. That'll be the largest single investment that the Jacksonville Port Authority has ever made. Um, we will be looking to our federal partners, which are having their own set of issues right now, then to deliver 750 million of that. The Port Authority, all by itself, is going to have to print 250 million dollars in order to make it happen. We will be leaning on the city of Jacksonville, the state of Florida, uh, the federal government, and anybody else that will come listen to us in order to help us fund that $250 million. Our mission is to try to have that particular channel deepened by the time the Panama Canal, uh, the new locks open, which is the latter part of 2014. To talk about uh, last-minute dredging, um, this is going to be literally last-minute dredging. We will be extremely lucky uh, to get there. Matter of fact, uh, the, given the fact that you have a Murphy in the room, uh, it's going to be almost impossible to deliver that channel uh, when the boss is telling me he wants it. An enormous uphill battle following through the federal process, going through your environmental process, and then authorization by Congress, and most importantly, funding by Congress and the actual work. The first estimate I saw for this project, a um, buddy of mine over at the Corps printed it out and handed it to me. I looked at it. A billion dollars, okay, that's not surprising. And I looked at the construction time frame they had had for their first uh, their first run through, and it was 180 months. I said, you know, it's 180 months. Wait a minute, that's like how many years is that? That's like 15 years. So, you know, definitely have to go back and, and redo the math on that. So, uh, the way that you reduce cost is you reduce construction time. So we're hoping to get that 15 years down to something a little bit reasonable, uh, so that we can get our cost down as well. I talked about the fact that uh, we don't have a printing press on the bottom of the Port Authority. We depend on an enormous amount of people in order to make all of our projects come to fruition. Our projects benefit everyone, especially the people living in the city of Jacksonville and the surrounding areas, and we depend on them to step up uh, and help us uh, institute these particular projects. We depend on the Jacksonville Transportation Authority, the Federal Department of Transportation. The FSTED program has provided the Jacksonville Port Authority with over $100 million in infrastructure uh, grants and loans uh, since it's been in existence. And we have used that money. Essentially, the, the $2.7 billion in, in economic impact that we have is pretty much due to that $100 million that has been invested. So you're getting a pretty good return on your investment. We're looking at the federal side. Of course, my old pals at the Corps are going to be helping us out. We're looking at the U.S. Navy. Uh, the reason being, they want to bring a nuclear aircraft carrier to uh, Mayport. And uh, first off, I like aircraft carriers and I like airplanes, so that's a great idea. But the fact that they may actually have to dredge about 30 million yards of material in order to bring that aircraft carrier in, uh, I stood up and, weigh, and definitely waved the flag real, real heavy uh, for that one. They're, they would potentially dredge the first 30 million yards of our project for us. Now, yeah, they'd get the easy stuff, the sand offshore, but it's 30 million yards I don't have to deal with. So um, it's an excellent opportunity for them to step up and, and do their part, and the city of Jacksonville and the surrounding area gets an enormous economic boost from an aircraft carrier as well. Um, Department, U.S. Department of Transportation, uh, MARAD, you don't really hear a whole lot about them, but they invest an enormous amount of money as well. Private, uh, meeting directly with CSX as well as Norfolk Southern, all have terminals in Jacksonville. Uh, and we'd like to see them expand their use. Last but not least, uh, financing. Uh, we have sent out some uh, kind of feelers for a P3 type. Um, I personally would like to, for us to use Port Authority money to, in, 
to invest and build all these projects because I'd like the Port Authority to get the return on that investment. Uh, P3s don't come to town for free. They don't sign up hoping to lose money. Uh, they sign up hoping to make money. I'd like for the public side of, that, of the ledger to see the value uh, that these that this in investments return. Um, but if you don't have enough printing presses downstairs, you're going to have to depend on elsewhere to get the funding. So we are looking at a P3, though it does come with its catches, as discussed earlier from my the friend from Virginia. Uh, there are some issues that we have to get by in order to use P3 financing. Um, again, just an excellent place for an engineer to be right now than in Jacksonville. Um, having a blast. We're going to do great things. We're going to continue to do great things. And uh, I greatly appreciate y'all's time. Thank you very much.